0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat. and as we'll get to over the next 40 to 45 minutes, this might be a new low for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They fall 4-3 on Monday night to the Anaheim Ducks, losing now three of the four games in their season-long four-game homestand and five of their last six games overall. Horwat, we have plenty to discuss on that game last night, but I think the biggest storyline, hands down, is the goaltender. Tristan Jari has another rough night, making 23 saves on 27 shots. All over the place in his crease. I texted you during the game, and I I said, it feels like we're watching the worst versions of Marc-Andre Fleury. He just has no idea where he's at in his own crease, and he's flailing all over the place. The worst part is at least Fleury made some saves when he did that. Tristan Jari allowed goals when he got you know out of pocket and out of schedule, and it did not look good for Tristan Jari last night. It, you could say that he lost some of the Pittsburgh Penguins that game. You could say that Eric Carlson lost the Pittsburgh Penguins that game, but that's what we're going gonna to discuss here over the next couple of minutes what did you think of Jari's performance? Not just last night, but over the last two games. Cause he got pulled on Saturday night as well. Got pulled.
1: Yeah, that's right. He got pulled. I forgot he got pulled until I was doing game recaps. Uh, because I was looking into the numbers. The I mean, the Penguins put up 47, 42 shots last night. Let me pull that paper back out 42 shots last night. Um, and just trying to figure that's like, you know, 40 something They 42, 42 last night, 40 something the other night. Um, against the ottawa senators and yet jari has not been making the saves has not been in the zone we were at least i think the two of us were perfectly fine with the tristan jari contract heading into the season because who else free agent wise were you going to get because as we see and as one of them you know ended up signing a new deal the those goalies that were on the market are not on the market and as a matter of fact one of them the big one signed a nice long extension to stay where he said he didn't want to stay mm. C- conversation that should have been had months ago but we don't even need to have it anymore <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just this isn't good from jari i think we all came into the season thinking yeah his skill is fine his skill is perfectly fine we know he can be a top goalie in the league the expectations are going to be high uh, but i think we're yet to see that and when it comes to last night that was a struggle uh, that was a struggle, especially considering he needed Brian Russ to bail him out for a couple of uh, for that one chance there, where he was just hot dogging out of the net. You know, luckily that one, he didn't get scored on in that one, but the first one he did, and I don't know what happened on that first one. The first, whenever I saw it live happen, I thought to myself, did he have to dive for that? Could he have just stayed in position? Uh, look, looking at the replay, maybe he got caught on something. I don't know. I'm not also not a goalie coach or anything like that, but he just seems like a wild man between, between his pipes. And it's not, it's not at all what you need from your starting goalie that you've put your faith into that has, he's proven it to proven that he could do it. He looked really good against Colorado. Um, looked, if you want to take it back that far, looked really good against Washington, but every other game he's been in, it hasn't been there. And Chicago wasn't terrible either. Um, but the Penguins need saves, they need the timely saves, and boy oh boy did they not get it last night, especially at the most timely of times in those closing seconds.
0: Yeah, he's now allowed three or more goals in five of his seven stars to start the season. Not a good start for Tristan Jari on that brand new five-year contract with Five plus million dollars, a modified no trade clause. A quick sidebar to bring up based on what you said is you know, you're not a goalie coach, so you can't really tell if you know that would have been what the goalie coach would want him to do. Hey, just lay it all out there. I thought he could have pushed from left to right in that instance, I thought he had the time to do it, but that that brings up an interesting sidebar is you know, we don't see in the NHL assisting coaches get made available, and I feel like yes, you, you heard Mike Sullivan yesterday say, you know about Tristan Jari playing deeper in his crease when he's not as confident in his game. He said that's something that you'd have to ask, you know, Andy Kyoto, our goaltender coach, about why don't they make them available to to the media? Like Andy Kyoto is the goaltending coach. I'm sure a lot of people would like to ask Todd Reardon some questions pertaining to the power play. So uh, it's just an interesting thing that, you know, the NFL does. And I know the NFL does a lot of things in a different way because of how big that sport is and how laser focused a lot of their fan base is. But I feel like a lot of the fans of the Pittsburgh Penguins and a lot of the media members would also appreciate getting to talk to some of these assistant coaches a little bit more often about things that they're specifically in charge of. The goaltending coach talk about Tristan Jory's game, the the power play coach talk about the power play that was 10% coming into this one. I just feel like that's that's something that never caught my attention until Sullivan's quote yesterday matched with what you said here today about, well, you know, I'm not a goaltender coach. And it's like, yeah, wouldn't it be nice to ask Andy Kyoto like, what's going on there? Like, why is he seemingly, like, a little bit more frazzled this year than he has been in recent recent years? So I, I don't know. I think that that would be interesting. that I, That really would be. I think, I don't know how a lot of it
1: works. I'm still only in my second year at this, <laughs> specifically. Um, so I don't know how a bunch of it works. I think you have to, like, punch in requests for that sort of thing. Like, uh, yeah. e- even in a, uh, a press conference setting. I remember last year, just randomly, we had Todd Reardon
0: once. I think just, it was post-game, I remember, because Sullivan was unavailable, it was after so Reardon came out.
1: It was after a practice, from what I remember. Uh, but, oh, Okay uh just randomly we had todd reardon once um mm-hmm. i think mike Sullivan is the other thing too is mike Sullivan's usually really good about answering questions uh that might not fully pertain to uh him specifically i mean like we'll ask a bunch of power play questions we'll ask a yeah. bunch of goaltending questions and he's pretty good about answering because he is the head coach and does you know oversee and manage it all um but getting down to the nitty-gritty, I, like, the way he did say, that's a question for Andy Kyoto, You're right. I think it would be, and you're right, the NFL does just handle things differently because I was thinking too, like, well, the NFL does this, but they are also much more of a, I don't know, different different monster when it comes to this sort of thing that yeah. they'll make their assistant coaches available. They'll make their their officials available, which, again, could no, really use that. No, the NHL won't, though, because the NHL... No, the NFL pro-
0: doesn't make their officials av- available. I thought they, they don't have literally... To, they don't, no, they don't have to account for their actions. They didn't just do it the other day with
1: the... No. ...Steelers, stand. I could swear I thought I saw a tweet. I'll look into it in a minute. Um, but... I, it, what, the people would get made available, I think, because the NHL likes protecting their guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's that's just the way it is and maybe that's part of it but also like i said mike sullivan's usually really good at it um so maybe we also just haven't noticed because again he is really Mm. good this is one of the first few you'll get that's more of a question for kyle or no or uh hexy you'll get that a lot you know him not knowing the gm situation that's understandable yeah um but he'll he's usually pretty good about knowing the coach's stuff
0: yeah, yeah, he he knows what's going on with his team, and he usually answers to the fullest. But it's just something different about talking to the guy that's specifically focused on just that, and he might have a different perspective. That's the only reason I mentioned that. But let's let's get back to to Tristan Jari, the main topic of the the, the main source of this topic here. What do they do with him at this point? Because you know he, he hasn't looked good through most of his starts. It's weird because the starts that he has looked good in, he's shut out the opponents, including the Colorado Avalanche. So what do you do at this point? Because you just signed this guy, what, two months ago to a five-year contract with $5 million, and he has a 12-team no-trade list. So what do you do do at this point with Tristan Jari nine games into the season when it's already looking like this isn't good and he should be healthy. Like, health shouldn't be a factor here. He shouldn't be dealing with that injury. He said that he was completely healthy going into camp, so unless he re-aggravated something, excuse me, It doesn't seem like it's a health issue, so what is the issue? We don't know, but what do you do if it pertains and and persists where Tristan Jari plays at this poorly?
1: Dude, I don't know. (laughs) Dude, I do not know. You hope Alex Nedeljkovic can find a pot of gold? It's a lot of
0: hope. Uh, It it is a lot of hope. And here is the reason why they brought in Alex Nedeljkovic. I, I mean, you hope that when he comes back, he's able to handle the starts 50-50 until Tristan Jari becomes the $5 million goaltender you're paying him to be. But if that day never comes this season, you're in a really bad situation because you're not going to want to buy out the remaining four years of that contract. That's going to cost you and handcuff you for a long time. So what do you do at that point? I mean, not to mention you know, the 12-team no trade list makes everything harder as well. you only have 19 teams that you could potentially even look at. It's just a move that right now, prisoner of the moment, looks like it could be an anchor for the Pittsburgh Penguins if Tristan Jari does not turn it around significantly in the coming weeks. It's,
1: yeah, it's going to be tough. Like, I genuinely don't know how to quantify anything that he's done so far. Like, was that? Two shutouts. Great! Other than that, just giving up, like, five goals a game. Yeah. This is so far from ideal. Uh, And, again, it's the timely goals, too. It's the breakaway in the literal closing seconds. Your team is shorthanded. Maybe they should have capitalized on the five-on-three already, sure. But, man, you got to make that one. Or how about not losing your net? How about not losing your positioning? there's all kind of little things that are going to go into this. I don't, and it, it, what doesn't make this any easier to talk about is that goaltending is voodoo and we could come back from the California road trip going, Tristan Jari had a perfect road trip. He led in two goals the entire time just because that's the way goalies are. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's kind of really hard for me to come up with anything. And I know saying, I don't know, isn't a great answer. But truthfully, I don't know, might be the only answer we have here because everything could change on the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said though it doesn't feel like it right we're starting to get a lot of the feelings that we had last year i know you asked me before how does the feeling in the room it's starting to feel like it did last year all of a sudden yeah you know it's starting to feel like the 22 23 season is still here um there was a lot of early hope there was a lot of you know, early feeling out process with the new with the new faces that excuse is out the door come tomorrow, because I think once November hits, that whole we have new guys. It's a feeling out process. Sullivan used the word the words feeling out process. It may have been yesterday morning, um, it may have been a couple of days ago. I don't remember exactly. But he that said it is... yesterday
0: talking about the power play with Riley Smith going out there.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure, that is gone though. <laughs> come yeah. tomorrow when it comes to new new faces in this lineup and a feeling out process. Gone. Your excuses is out of here because you've had all of training camp, preseason, most of preseason. Considering you take guys in and out of the lineup, and then soon to be ten games, this is where we should start to see what kind of team we have, and it's not pretty so far. We're still we're still yet to get a point from the bottom from the bottom line. The third line's looked a hell of a lot better since Radin Zahorna got here. Mm-hmm. You cannot fault the first line for. It. Any of this, maybe their finishing ability is down a little bit. Cindy Crosby yeah. did have a career-high 12 shots against the Anaheim Ducks. Mm-hmm.
0: we
1: we'll leave that as it is. And Jake Gensel played 24 minutes last night. Yeah. I don't I don't know what to
0: make of this team anymore.
1: Welcome to the Ron Hextop, sorry, scratch that, Kyle
0: Dubas era. Yeah. Here's the worst part I think about last night is all those guys that you mentioned played well. And I talked about this on the Iceberg Recap Show last night. All 18 skaters had good games. I couldn't find a single player that I looked at and I said, his overall game was poor last night. They all had good games. Yes. Did some of them make mistakes that they'd like to take back? I'm sure Eric Carlson would 100% say yes on that pass with about 20 seconds to go. And on on the man advantage that sprung Mason McTavish. But the one player that didn't perform, and it seems like it's been like this, for a couple of games this year, is Tristan Jari. And that's scary because he's the one that holds the most weight in the conversation about whether or not you win or lose the game. Because on all four of those goals, it was an opportunity for him to make the timely save to keep the momentum in the Penguins' favor. And he just didn't do it. And that's something that you can say, well, you know, he struggled a little bit, but if he goes and turns around like you mentioned at California Road Trip, hey, that's good. We might be talking a different tune. Here's the problem. He hasn't made the timely save at all over the past two and a half seasons. That's the one issue that's always been hampering him. That's the bad habit that he has. And if you can't make the timely save, how in the heck are you going to make it through a Stanley Cup run, which is what this team's ultimate goal is? You're not. So Tristan Jari needs to not just perform the way he used to perform. He needs to break out of some bad habits, which is one Being able to make the timely save, first and foremost. He needs to be able to come out and make the save when the team needs it. Because if you look at the opportunities for the Anaheim Ducks, they were few and far between yesterday. But it seemed like every time they got a singular opportunity, Tristan Jari let one in. That power play goal, it was one-on-one, man-on-man, and and Tristan Jari got beat. Mm -hmm. On the the breakaway, it was one-on-one, man-on-man, and I get it. It's a breakaway from center ice, and Mason McTavish is a really good young player. But you got beat. You can't get beat every single time. If it was, if it was that happened, but you know, he was great the rest of the game and there were a bunch of tap-ins like it was in St. Louis. It's like, okay, I mean, that's unfortunate. You you lost that one opportunity you had to change the course of the game, but every single time they scored, Tristan Jari had a chance to change the course of the game and he didn't. And that's, that's a habit that's going to be worrisome going forward.
1: Yeah. This, that, that last one, I've never felt the air get sucked out of everything so quickly. Uh, just because of all right, it's a five-on-three opportunity. They'll have most of the two minutes for that five-on-three. Um, it is this vaunted power play that we have heard that we heard so much about coming into the season. It's Eric Carlson, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Ensel When he's healthy, guess what? He's healthy. Maybe Crystal Tang is out there. He's not, but well, we'll take it. And not only that, but the power play scored a couple times already in the game, and one of them was a five-on-three already. Okay. So in your mind, you're looking at it going, hey, you know what? There's really something that could happen here in this late game because you see the clock ticking down this late game moment. We're going to ignore the fact that it's the Ducks. We're just going to say it's a really hard fought game and we're going to find a way to win this. Literally in the closing seconds, okay, the first power play is ending fine. You have time to record on the second. Maybe you take it into overtime and get your pity point because we're yet to even get one of those. And then three on three overtime with this team because we're yet to see that even, three on three overtime with Sidney Crosby, uh, probably with Jake Gensel and maybe with Eric Carlson, Chris Tang out there with Malkin and maybe Riley Smith, maybe Brian Rust. You start to really get the fun the fun factor into your head. You know you're thinking of the other side too. Like all right, well there's Trevor Zegras, there is how good Mason McTavish is being, uh, Troy Terry. There's all kind of skill on that side of the lineup too. And then just one quick bad Aaron pass. uh, And your goalie can't make the stop in the literal closing seconds. Cause then you look at the clock and you go, there's what? Five seconds left. Well, this stinks time to pack it in. I guess Uh, I had to pretty much delete every question I had for the team because, Oh boy, I didn't know what to come up with after that.
0: Yeah. uh, It's, it's a, it's a game and it's a loss that I couldn't help but laugh. It was humorous to me at the end of oh, that one. Oh, the entire Meteor like, was
1: laughing so hard. Like, like They couldn't help
0: it. Like You found a way to lose that. No way, shape or form, in a tie game with two minutes and eight seconds left and you're getting a five on three, should you come away with zero points in the standings in that. And and they found a way to do it. So uh, a lot of that is due to the goaltender, which we've talked about extensively. But you know they've got a lot of other things that they need to address moving forward as the the calendar flips to november but we're going to take a quick break when we come back let's talk a little bit about that new look power play you mentioned it very briefly there let's dive into it a little bit deeper in the second segment here we'll be right back Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to The Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by insidethepenguins.com. Penguins they lost last night 4 to 3 but a lot of people online were upset about the power play after this game. And, yes, the one mistake by Eric Carlson cost the Pittsburgh Penguins the game at the end, making that pass to Evgeny Malkin, a pass that they make seemingly 30 to 40 times on every power play opportunity was read <clears throat> by Adam Henrique of the Anaheim Ducks penalty kill, and he sends Mason McTavish in on the breakaway, who gets the game winner, his second goal of the game, third point of the game, and the Penguins lose their second straight game and their fifth In their last six outings. But a lot of people upset about the power play's performance in general. And coming into this game, I was as well. They were 10% at that point, 2-for-20, and hadn't scored since October 13th against the Washington Capitals. Last night they go 2-for-7, which is good for 28.6%. If you do that throughout an entire season, that's good, Horwat. So I don't understand where the vitriol is for the power play. What did you think last night of their performance? It was definitely
1: better. Uh, it, I can see why people still aren't upset, are are still upset with it because you have to remember a lot of people are the "what have you done for me lately" people, and what have what has the power play done for us lately? Well, they gave up a shorthanded break that cost them the game. Uh, I think we've seen Eric Carlson make that you're right make that specific pass a thousand times. We've seen Eric Carlson just make unreal passes all season so far you're not gonna he's not gonna hit those passes 100 percent of the time that's part of it too it's just the way it is um i i can understand how people are still upset with the power play because well, let's be honest you have a five on three opportunity maybe you should have scored while it was five on three and not five on four with the man in the middle breaking out of the box um maybe smarter decision making need to be needed to be had in that area uh, I think Evgeny Malkin took a little blame as well for the power play, not scoring at the end there. They just kept finding Dostal's glove and chest. I don't know how else to put it. I think the power play looked to be a little bit better, a little bit smarter. They were shooting the puck more, uh, which genuinely was, has been the killer, um, through the early parts of the season. Uh, Overall, though, I think if they can keep progressing like this, there won't be too much to worry about. Uh, but they got to find the finishing. And like I kind of slightly mentioned before, this team, Mike Sullivan said it, and he is right, the, team did, the Penguins did look like the better team last night. Yeah. Uh, for a majority of the game, you're rifling off 42 shots. For the second game in a row, it's over 40. You do look like the better
0: team look at that deserve to win a meter that we are undefeated with this year um Uh, the only time i think that they lost the deserve to win a meter was the four to nothing win over the colorado avalanche (laughs) raise the uh deserve to win banner
1: Uh, and he's like mike sullivan isn't totally wrong when you when he says that the penguins looked like the better team and the outcome doesn't reflect that well, then something's got to start reflecting the outcome because at this point it's coming down to the finishing ability,
0: right? Well, and here's the thing. Deserving to win a game doesn't get you into the postseason, Mike. And I'm tired of hearing that excuse. I mean, it's not an excuse. It's what he's saying. It's what he saw. It's his observation of the game. Fine. But your observation of the game should also be you lost again. Like you lost again. I don't care if you deserve to win. You didn't win. So something has to change. You it's... can't say, well, I mean, we deserve to win. We outplayed them. So what we're doing is working. It's not working. And last night, it was because of your goaltender. But in other games this season, it's been because, and we'll talk about it here, it's been because your team doesn't know how to finish opportunities. And you saw that at some points last night, and and that goes towards the power play as well. They need to be better at finishing opportunities.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, and their finishing ability just hasn't been there. I that huge save from... Uh, John Gibson at the uh, end of the first period. You know, t- th- Maybe th- if that gets tapped in, who knows
0: where the rest of the game goes. Yeah, that one's puck luck, but uh, more often than not, that's not the case that somebody makes a ridiculous save or that they get that bad of puck luck. Like to say that that's happened over nine games just shows that you're, you're blindly hoping and and you're toting a company line. So I've seen a couple people on the internet be like, people always say, well, they need to be better at finishing. These are the chances that they're they're not finishing. Like, right. Really? Like, really? Like, come on. That's, that's the exception and not the rule. Get your head out of your butt. That's, that's not the problem. There is a problem here. Stop trying to ignore it.
1: It's just, there's something here. It's just, they're not finishing. There are moments. There have definitely been moments and there have definitely been games where the Penguins looked like the better team. But that finishing ability is not there. And Mike Sullivan is discouraged. He did say that. He is discouraged by this loss uh, considering the fact that they were the better team. Are changes coming? He kind of hinted at it. We'll see where it goes. I think everyone's kind of rolling their eyes at this point when it comes to the change thing. Um, but I think there, who knows what it's going to be, who knows what you can change right now. I think for what it's worth, Mike Sullivan is a little less handicapped this time around because he has some more fluid communication with Kyle Dubas where, Hey, let's try and change up the mojo a little. Let's do this, 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 and this, and then have actual conversations about it. Um, there's some, there might be something a little different here. And the change has to be, I'm sure we'll talk about it, the change has to be something more than just a call-up, and the change also has to be more than just saying the power play needs to shoot more. Or we're going to switch out Ricardo Kell for Brian Rust, scratch that. Brian Rust for Riley Smith, scratch that. Who's next?
0: Yeah, eventually you're just shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Exactly. 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 To 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 bring this back around to the power play, I know we went off on a tangent about the uh, the greater scheme of things there, but I mean that's that's what's going to happen after a loss to the like state last of night of this October, like yeah, honestly, that's that's how this month has gone for the Pittsburgh Penguins to open up this season. But I think that the power play is moving in the right direction, and I think if you're trying to to get on them about last night and their performance, twenty eight point six percent is going to give you a top five power play, which is exactly what you wanted. So you know what? Their performance was fine last night. And more importantly than the two goals that they scored, I look back at their third power play opportunity, and I think that's the best one of the night. No, they didn't score. They built momentum. They got shots on goal. They actually forced Lucas Dostal to make some really impressive saves. And what did that do for the team? Instead of losing momentum, like we've seen throughout a lot of the season, where they get on the power play, they lose the momentum, and it starts to shift in the other team's favor. The Penguins had six, seven, eight shifts in a row after the power play, where they just completely hemmed the Ducks into their own zone. They were pushing the pace, they were getting their opportunities, they were getting closer and closer to getting that lead back at 1-1, to and then you take a penalty. And then what happens there? Okay, you know what? You took a penalty. Let's kill it and get back on the get back on the attack. Well, the second shot of that power play goes behind Tristan Jari. He gets beat one-on-one, and now the bubble is completely deflated. And it took getting a five-on-three at the end of the second period to blow that balloon back up. This team continues to build momentum and leads it up to absolutely nothing. Right? You build the momentum to a point. You build all of it to a climax and then just a disappointing end to all of it. It's mm-hmm. it's what this team has done all season long. Yes, you can say that they outplayed their opponent for 50 out of the 60 minutes, but guess what? You still lost. And at the end of the day, I don't really care how badly you outplayed somebody if you still lost and this is a thing that happens night in and night out. But as far as the power play is concerned, I liked Riley Smith's puck retrieval in the first period on the power play. That directly led to the Eric Carlson goal. I thought that he did a good job getting down low, getting the puck on the rebound, and and starting that cycle again. I like that they had nine shots through the first three power play opportunities. I thought that they looked really good in the first three power play opportunities, obviously scoring on one of them, and then they get the five-on-three or the dueling five-on-threes at the end of the second and third periods that, again, looked pretty good, all things considered. Now, you do have that mistake by Carlson, but that's, that's a mistake. The one thing that bothers me about this power play, and it's not just the power play, it's the Penguins at 5-on-5 as well, I need to see better screens in front. It's not about scoring in front of the net all the time, especially if they're committed to taking all of these shots from 35 feet away. If Malkin's taking that shot from the point, if Carlson's taking that shot from the point, and another factor in this is the Penguins probably lead the NHL in shots into shin pads this year because they just continue to shoot the puck right into the shin pads of the opponent. But when they do get through, you saw it last night. Lucas Dostal looked like he was playing in warmups. There was nobody in front of him. It was glove save, glove save, glove save. It looked boring for him. You have nobody in front of the net, and you can say, well, Gensel's in front of the net, and then as soon as they shoot the puck, he moves to the side and tries to to deflect the puck. How many times has he deflected the puck? How many times has he deflected the puck this season? How many times has Sidney Crosby deflected the puck this season? Look at Joe Pavelski and what he does. He stands in front of the net, and he doesn't leave the front of the net. What did Patrick Hornquist do when he was on the Penguins' power play? He stood in front of the net, and he doesn't leave in front of the net. He stands there, and he moves his stick to deflect the puck, and he gets out of the way with lifting his leg or by moving a little bit. But you know what he always is? In front of the goaltender. The Penguins, I don't know if they're afraid to get hit by the puck. I don't know if they're coached that way. It's something I'd like to ask Todd Reardon. Stand in front of the net because if you don't, goaltenders in this league, except Tristan Jari, will make that save every time.
1: Oh, damn. (laughs) This well, we're the state of this team, man. Um getting into the little things, and it's the little
0: things that aren't working for him. And that's the difference between finishing and not finishing this league. It's it's yeah microscopic but it's something like that where you're taking all these shots from the point and you can say hey puck retrieval, you set it up i've got him Malkin one timer eric carlson one timer crosby comes up and gets a shot from the point if you're committed to making those shots then your net front presence has to actually be a net front presence and not just stand to the left of Dostal and put your stick on his left pad as he as he makes the glove save
1: <sighs> yeah it's, it's 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 finding the finishing ability it, don't know how else to put it. They're getting their opportunities and they're capitalizing on a couple here and there. We saw the Evgeny Malkin five on three the thing about five on three is I always feel it's different from a regular power play just because you have that much more ice. You have that much mm-hmm. more of a chance. It kind of counts. as, it, Yeah. It's a, it is a full goal. It is a full tack onto your power play percentage, but it always feels like it was just a half. Like a, you, you should have done that. That's what makes the missed five on three at the end, even worse. Cause it's double all of a sudden. Um, but that, you know, that goal from Eric Carlson in, in the first period, huge. Just to get, just to have him wake up a little bit, to have the power plays gain some momentum and gain some mojo. If, again, like I mentioned with, the, with Tristan Jari over this upcoming breaking into the trip, if we come back from the trip and we go, he was a perfect, he was a perfect, this, this for this, this doing this, this, and this, we kind of forget all about it. If the power play can all of a sudden take their momentum that they gained from scoring that... First one, and then that second one on the five-on-three. But they felt the mojo kind of start to kick a little bit. The momentum start to ride in their favor. If they can start rolling that into some more, some more goals, and that can roll into some more wins, you know, we we remember this happened, but we kind of forget that it uh, really held them back. The power play we've already seen can be a game-changing situation. Mm-hmm. Penguins have already had a handful of games where the it's impossible to get consistent five-on-five five play because. Uh, the refs are being whistle happy, and sometimes that's perfectly fine. It's the early; it's still the early parts of the season where they are making a ton of calls, where they are not, where they're calling it really tight. Um, the Penguins have to take advantage of that. That's a big issue here: mm-hmm. is that they're not fully embracing and taking advantage of those opportunities. Um, did things seem to be pushed in the right direction against Anaheim? Absolutely. Yep. They scored twice. That's a big positive. If it had the Let's say they just kind of lost on a last-second goal. It, it, it wasn't a 5-on-3 situation. It wasn't a power play situation. They just kind of lost on a on a freak last-second We're not having the power play discussion. We're saying it looked a lot no. better. They scored twice. Mm-hmm. They scored on a huge 5-on-3. They were gaining momentum. Maybe Riley Smith is the answer or the key or whatever you want to discuss with the power play. But we're not having this discussion of, well, you fumbled the bag because of what have you done for me lately? Oh, yeah, one bad pass because you were overpassing a little bit more uh, again. Mike Sullivan was not happy with the power play uh, during a practice at PBG Paints Arena last week. You Mm -hmm. can verbally hear him yelling at them. Uh, I believe an expletive was used and something about passing the puck into the net. Now, Mm -hmm. like we said, the power play did shoot a little more this time around. They did score twice. But that that pass-happy feeling got to them on that last one. Mm -hmm. Again, not that they weren't taking shots on that opportunity. They were. Yeah but it was just that one. And I can see why people are upset with the power play
0: because that one, but it looks better. I think overall it looks better, but it's now a matter of finishing. Yeah. Here's one last thing I want to mention on the power play. They got lulled into a sense of security on that five on three. You could tell yes, because one, I don't know what it was. The one time Carlson and Malkin passed the puck back and forth to each other like eight times in a row. I don't know why. I don't know what that was supposed to do, Uh, but that was just interesting. I don't think that that did any good or it got them any closer to scoring a goal. But the other thing was you see these players that are ultra talented and they think, hey, we can make these plays, you know, in our sleep. And there are times where, listen, the rotation that they have up top is really good and it makes them hard to defend. And that 5-on-3, when you're saying, okay, it's 5-on-3, they're going to say and, and play conservative. They're going to stay back, try to make sure there's no open lanes down low. Adam Henrique is a veteran in this league. Adam Henrik is a smart player in this league. He's not the most talented, but he's played so many games. Why? Because he thinks the game at a higher level. The Penguins scored both of their goals from the exact same spot that that puck was intercepted at. You think Adam Henrique didn't know, hey, this is where they're going to try to score the goal. This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to set up Evgeny Malkin there. So the second that puck gets on Eric Carlson's stick, Adam Henrique knows, okay, with one second left on the power play, or the five on three, I know Mason's coming out of the box, and I know that there's a more than 50% chance Carlson tries to make this pass to Evgeny Malkin. He takes a couple steps forward. He picks off the pass because it's exactly what Eric Carlson does, and he springs Mason McTavish. That's just getting lulled into a sense of security if you're the Penguins, and you can't do that when you are playing teams that have wily veteran penalty killers like Adam Henrique, who saw, listen, Carlson's goal, Malkin's goal, came from that exact same play. So yeah, the Penguins are trying to go back to the well for a third time to win the game. Henrique knew what was coming. He read the play, he made the play, and the Ducks get to walk away with their fourth straight victory and two points at PPG Paints Arena. So... Overall, power play is fine. I don't know why people are are mad about the power play. That's a bad mistake. There's a couple things they still need to fix. Getting better net front presences and not getting lulled into a sense of security there. And a five on three. But at the end of the day, it's it's not on the power play that they lost that game. It's on the guy we talked about for 20 minutes in the first segment. I don't have to go back to it. I talked about it for 22 minutes. My post game show was 22 minutes, and that was all bashing on Tristan Jari. So Ooh. I don't I don't, I, I don't need to. I, we don't need to keep going with that. But at the end of the day, I, I think the power play is heading in the right direction, trending in the right direction. So and last night was was certainly a case of that. Well, you were.
1: Bashing Tristan Jari in the in your post game, I was googling Macklin Celebrini to just kind of get a feel for how he's gonna be. <laughs> for wow. those for those that don't know the name, uh, that is uh, reportedly gonna be the next number one overall pick at the uh, NHL draft. So that's the that's the mindset that you're in, that we're in, that we are all kind of feeling out the process of. So what would a number one overall pick look like in Pittsburgh again?
0: I mean, it's not out of the question. The Pittsburgh Penguins at the end of October, which is the first pseudo full month of the season, dead last in the Eastern Conference. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about them reaching a break in the season, and we'll finish this show off after this quick break.
1: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
0: Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. The Penguins, Penguins, they've reached a a little break in the season because they now have a four-day rest before their next game on Saturday night, which kicks off their California road trip. They leave October with a 3-6-0 record. Like I mentioned before the break, that is dead last in the Eastern Conference. And according to Wes Crosby of NHL.com, it is the lowest point total, six standings points, the lowest point total through nine games since the 2005-2006 season when Sidney Patrick Crosby was a rookie. Leo Carlson, who played in last night's game, was nine months old. That's the last time the Penguins have gotten off to this slow of a start, and they were 0-4-5 to start that season, 3-6-0 and to start this one. So if there's anything to take away from it, it's at least they have the wins and they're not just getting all pity points
1: and actually the funny part is about the start of that season is uh it didn't they that that's just the first nine games that trend continued until game who 10 oh yeah Yeah. game 10 when they finally won seven to five over the atlanta thrashers this is ugly Mm oh this is this is the situation we're in man and the funny thing is like none of those were wins all those points from before
0: yeah Um, at least they they got three wins in this one and you know, one of them was a very impressive win over the Colorado yeah. Avalanche, which which kind of clouds everybody's judgment of saying this team could be the worst team in the National Hockey League. Everybody says, well, I mean, you have the talent and you just went out and beat the Avalanche four days ago, soundly. So it the was... question then becomes, do you still believe that this is a playoff caliber team that, that you're watching on the ice?
1: Uh, as I was scrolling Twitter in between the, uh, in between during that little break there, um, I, I did see a, a couple of things. That one of them was that this team can still do it. There are certain things that do need to be tweaked and changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows if they're coming? Who knows what it might take? But certain things about this team are are pretty solid. We just discussed yeah. the power play. We discussed how people aren't happy with it, but it is getting there. It is genuinely getting there. They're taking their chances. They're shooting the puck. Eric Carlson said last week at some point that they just need to someone needs to take charge someone needs to just be the quarterback almost um it seems like they're kind of getting there uh listen you never bet against Sidney Crosby Uh, that first line is doing pretty good like I mentioned 12 Mm -hmm. shots on goal a career high um Jake Gensel's a little snake bitten yikes but his numbers otherwise look pretty good I mean he was yeah. he had, uh six points through three games. It was five assists, but hey, you have six points. It's well, If you're th- finding a new a new level to your game and the other one starts waking up a little, that's going to make you a really dangerous player.
0: Yeah, the other thing with Gensel too is I don't think they're putting him in, posi- in position to score goals, especially on the power play. I don't think they're putting... And part of that is, you know, he's supposed to be the net front guy. Maybe he should stay in the net front a little bit more. But I don't think he's in position to really utilize his shot enough in most instances for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I I, I don't, if that's my gut feeling. If I go back and watch it, I might say the different thing. But I think especially on the power play, they're not putting him in positions to be the finisher for that team. And part of me is a little confused as to why, because he's been their leading scorer, I think, three of the past five years. So I don't know. I I think that that's part of it, but not obviously all of it, because in the past he's been able to get his in the same situation or similar situations.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, he's got 32 shots on goal so far this year. I mean, having that amount through nine games is a pretty big number. Sidney Crosby is 39 through uh, nine games, in case you were curious. Um, it, it doesn't fall. I feel like it, this is another situation where the the downfalls are not falling on the the main guys. Sidney Crosby's leading the team in points already. Or, sorry, second in the team in points points. He's got 10 points through nine games. Evgeny Malkin had that monstrous first week uh, mm-hmm. and has still looked good pretty consistent since then uh like we said Jake gensel has nine points yeah only two of them were goals but nine points and he is rifling the puck with those 32 shots brian rust is waking up we needed that mm-hmm. uh riley smith has that great chemistry with evgeny malkin already we're still waiting on ricard raquel to you know not hit the snooze button maybe if you um, put him on the first line
0: but i digress
1: hey you're struggling here's a promotion i uh, will see um and the third line's starting to wake up a little bit. The defense hasn't been totally god awful. I mean, stop putting Latang and, like you said, stop putting Latang Carlson out there at the same time because that is a defensive nightmare. You'll get some goals maybe, but you you better hope it doesn't leave the zone. Um, and if Eric Carlson can also start waking up, you know, more uh, he's been he's played pretty well. His the defensive part of his game, every game. I'm like he is a genuinely good defenseman. Mm. Uh, there are times where it's obvious that he's not, but gen- there are a lot of moments where it's the way he can A, turn defense into offense, and B, actually make some good stick plays. He's solid enough, especially if he's playing with Marcus Pedersen, who's a great defensive. That's,
0: that's what I, that I was about to say. It, it helps that he's playing with the best Penguins defenseman. It helps that he's playing with Marcus Pedersen because if he wasn't playing with Marcus Pedersen, I think it'd be a little bit more obvious that Eric Carlson does struggle in his own zone. But I'll de- I will will defer to the fact that he's looked better than I expected.
1: I I also think losing John Ludwig might be a little bit more of a... That might be bigger than we think because he was playing really well. He was playing a little bit like Mark Friedman before his injury occurred. So now we're stuck with Chad Ruedel again. Who oh,
0: Don't get me wrong. Is Chad Ruedel but he's not really Chad Ruedel anymore. Uh, his underlying numbers are really good. It's just sometimes he makes that mistake. You know, if you if you don't notice him, he's doing all the right things. But the one time, the couple times you do notice him, he's always doing the wrong thing, which gives a very negative perception on a player that overall is not as negative as people think he is.
1: Right. And for what it's worth, Ryan Shea has been unnoticeable.
0: Good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ryan Shea has just completely flown under the radar, which for what he's supposed to do, He's doing his job well. But, you know, we again, we're we're all over the place after this one, but we have four days to kind of dissect everything. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you here before we go, because we do have a meeting. Uh, the last thing I want to ask ah, you we before we go, how long do you think Kyle Dubas waits before making a major change? A lot of people have asked me this on, on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. A lot <laughs> of people asked me this in the comment section last night on the post-game show. How long do you think Kyle Dubas will wait And if if you think he makes one, what do you think that change ends up being? I I bet he doesn't wait long.
1: I don't know what kind of change it would be, though, Um, because you have to. I I mean, listen, one move isn't going to change the team. It isn't going to immediately improve it and make it an all-star team. Uh, It's really hard to pick what it could be. We're stuck with Jeff Carter. There's nothing you could do about that. 'Cause notice I just ran down all the good things of the team. What did I not notice? The four, or what did I not pick out? The fourth line and the goaltending. Um and do the goaltending we can get to in a minute. But the fourth line, if you change your fourth line that that's that and that's what gets you going, you have bigger issues. You have bigger yeah. issues if the if the fourth line changing is what gets you Jeff Carter's not going anywhere though, so forget that. Achari's his boy. that's Cal boy signed up for three years with a modified no trade. I don't think he's going to get taken out anytime soon. And Matt Nieto, maybe something can happen there, but that's also a two-year deal. Um, I always feel like the guys that you just signed, you just brought on, are going to get a bit of a longer leash because they're new. I, so it sounds like the entire fourth line is sticking around for a little bit more. Don't know what else to say about that, at least in my head. Mm-hmm. Maybe... Uh, you've really got to have a talk with Jeff Carter, man. But I think that's a big one, but also for what it's worth, he didn't have a bad game. There was a couple moments where I was like, Hey, he looks fast at one point. The new, the big new scoreboard at PBG paints arena will sometimes show speeds and how fast everyone mm-hmm. is skating. There was a point I looked up and went, huh, Jeff Carter has the fastest skating speed of the night so far. And, and I saw it and I went, you know what? Yes, he does. Uh, so there's there's still some sort of thing there to keep Jeff Carter in the lineup. Other than that, uh, though, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I mentioned the top three lines are solid. They're fine. They're doing good. The fourth line mm. isn't, but you're not going to change any of that. The defense looks good. Well, the, the power play is waking up, and here we are back at the Tristan Jari conundrum.
0: Yeah, Trista Jari is obviously the biggest change that would need to be made. But again, similar to, to, to Jeff Carter, it's going to be hard for them, if not impossible, for them to make an actual move in that area. But with Jeff Carter, here's the thing. Look what happened when you took Jansen Harkins off the third line and put in Redeem Zahorna. Now you have to introduce the right piece, but exchanging one piece could change the entire outlook of an entire line. Jeff Carter can't be sent down. Jeff Carter can't be traded unless he not request a trade, but allows a trade to happen. Doesn't mean you can't put him in the press box, at least for a game. See what happens when you put Vinny Hinnestroza there, because Vinny Hinnestroza is on the NHL roster right now. Salary cap compliant and everything with $16,000 to spare. Vinny Henestrosa is on the roster. Now I understand it's Mike Sullivan's boy, but Mike Sullivan has to realize that his seat warmer just got turned on a little bit. Now here's the thing. I don't think that Kyle Dubas is going to make any changes leading up to this road trip. There were some rumors that he would. Those rumors were all very not based, in fact. There's not going to be any changes leading up to this road trip in the four-day break. If the Penguins go even 1-2 and two on this road trip, that puts them at 4-8 and eight on the season, whether they get a pity point or not. Four wins, eight losses. on The Western California road trip is not an easy one. 1-2 and two is a realistic response, whether you're playing well or not. Right? The LA Kings are great. The Ducks just beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Sharks stink. You should get a win over the Sharks. But
1: and I was gonna say you if that is one of your losses, then you really do need to look at the rest of the league standings and go, oh goodness gracious.
0: Exactly. Be- so. But if they come if they come home four and eight, I think Kyle Dubas is probably already making phone calls and trying to figure out how he can fix this team. If they come home four and eight, that expedites the process a whole lot. They need to have a winning road trip to save a lot of people's butts down on the ice there at PPG Paints Arena. Now, here's the thing of what the move would be. I still find it very hard to believe that Mike Sullivan's going anywhere, at least in in the near future. But his support staff is on the chopping block. You know, goaltending coach, we've seen that change midseason. Assistant coaches, we've seen that change. Both assistant coaches, honestly, could be on it because they're in their final year of their contract, and they're not going to care. They're going to be like, all right, You're gone. But here's the thing, it's not just getting rid of them to to wake Mike Sullivan up and say, hey, you have a new support staff, It's, it's people that are directly hired by Kyle Dubas, but here's the other thing, I could see Kyle Dubas bringing in somebody that eventually could supplant Mike Sullivan, somebody with the pedigree that could eventually supplant Mike Sullivan to really heat things up for Sullivan, to really open his eyes to, hey, you need to change something, you need to get better. Not that I don't think that there's a healthy relationship there between Dubas and Sullivan, certainly healthier than it was between Hextall and Sullivan, but something to just kind of give him a jolt. Because right now, I don't believe they have that guy in the organization. Right, The one person that you could really argue is Todd Reardon. You might even have an argument for Mike Vellucci, but you're going to see a lot of the same things. I don't think that that's the correct form of action. So if you're going to make a change, a major change, not just making a call-up, I could see it being, hey, your assistant coaches are gone. We're bringing in this guy. And I think it's going to be known, not spoken, but known, that this guy is somebody that the second Mike Sullivan slips a little too far below the surface, he's going to get supplanted by this guy. Because I don't I don't seem to believe that that's J.D. Forrest. He doesn't really have that... Dan Biles, Mike Sullivan circa 2016 feel to him. So I could see Kyle Dubas saying, hey, uh, we're bringing this guy in. And then it can go rather unspoken that if you don't perform well and your team doesn't perform well, this guy's going to be the next head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins.
1: You're right. And I totally see that. The One of the issues is, is at this point, the season
0: started, who's out there? Who's available? That's that's a major question. the uh, The biggest coach co- coaching name on the market is somebody that uh, Kyle Dubas actually fired in the past. So I'm I don't not, see uh I don't see Mike Babcock coming to Pittsburgh anytime soon. Certainly not as an assistant. Uh, not in the not in the situation that I outlined. No.
1: Can, and considering how things ended before they started in Columbus, I don't see him getting a job ever again in the NHL. So there's that. Um, yeah. I, I was also it, chatting with. Uh, Brian Metzer. After the game, I ran into him on the way out of the arena. Friend of the show, Brian Metzer, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both believe, and we both know, Mike Sullivan's not going anywhere. Wait, where well, he's not? That new contract. I will, I will continue to pound the table on this. I will not actually pound the table because that's where my microphone is sitting. Thank you. But I will continue to pound the table and say his contract has not started yet. Wait until next year no. with this. Is, it, is the seat getting warm? Sure, but it's but once that contract starts then you can really start having the discussion of okay things aren't changing maybe he's a little comfortable in his spot sometimes a warm seat is comfy and you, you know what i mean i don't know if that really helps anything but sometimes that warm seat is comfortable to sit in he has a comfortable spot and a very cushy position in this organization he got that he got that contract signed 2 years in advance and apparently, it was just FSG's idea. That's, well, I mean, sure, Kyle, du- Kyle Dubas probably does also really like Mike Sullivan as a head coach. Maybe it helps that Sullivan was "quote unquote" part of the hiring process. Don't know exactly to what extent. But again, when you're, if you, if you're Mike Sullivan, you and you, it let's we don't know exactly to what extent he was in that hiring process. But if he was at all involved, well, Kyle Dubas. Man, he hired me. I know he's below me, but he hired me. Or Mike Sullivan. I'm hiring the guy that might fire me? No, I'm going to hire the guy that's going to keep me around. Mike Sullivan might be in a bit of a comfortable position. And I like your idea of making him uncomfortable somehow. Forcing that change. Make that with the lineup as well. Make someone uncomfortable. Don't know how you do that. Pio Joseph's still sitting around doing nothing. Could he be on the chopping block?
0: I don't think dropped. that moves the needle enough.
1: No, it doesn't, considering he's a healthy scratch. But yeah. I, where, where do we go from here? And we're starting to get yeah. to that point of the, point of the season. And it's, it's still October for a couple more hours.
0: Yeah. Where do we go from here? I don't know. Something tells me that uh, my steadfast belief that Mike Sullivan's not going anywhere because of his contract is starting to whittle away. Because at the end of the day... FSG made that hire early on in their ownership of the Pittsburgh Penguins and they admitted several times early on in their ownership of the Pittsburgh Penguins that they're not too invested in understanding NHL and the way the NHL business works. They they rely on other people to do so. So they might like Mike Sullivan as the person, but quickly they're going to understand that Mike Sullivan, the coach, if he's not producing, is going to cost them money and at the end of the day that is a money-making organization. The entire league is, but certainly FSG is. So I'm not saying that he's on the chopping block. I'm not saying that he's on the hot seat. But I'm saying that the fact that hey, you know, his contract hasn't started, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's as big of a factor going forward as I used to. But attendance. we'll see how attendance has been down to
1: attendance has slipped every game since the opener as well. So when you go back to the money thing in a gate-driven league, we get that FSG makes a ton of money. We get that the Penguins make a ton of money allegedly. Um the the attendance is down. The yeah. visuals of empty seats is on the rise. So yeah. something'll give there, surely, uh, hopefully. For what it's worth, yeah. the the new scoreboard is a treat to see. The mm-hmm. uh the the new lights don't make that much of a difference, I guess, whatever. Um and for what it's worth, home games are still fun to go to. They are still fun atmospheres. But the product on the ice, the reason why you paid that much money, because ticket prices are also going up, um, is not good. So, no. something's got to give there. Someone's got to wake up and make the moves. Like, like I said, Mike Sullivan hits it, it moves.
0: We'll see if something happens. Practice is at 12 today, and then a day off, and then to California. Yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with that. I think this is an actually pivotal road trip for the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to the direction of their season and what they end up doing when it comes to the personnel on the ice. I think Kyle Dubas is taking this one uh, a little bit more seriously than he's, he took that home game four, or four game homestand, especially considering you lose three of those four games. And at the end of it, it's it's worrisome because the team on the ice, for the most part, looks good. But they can't get wins. And at the end of the day, it is a wins-driven business and is in a gate-driven league. So uh, we are going to be back later in this week. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you guys next time.